We're here today with Pastor Todd Anderson of Compass Church in Monterey County, California. We're in a message series called Freedom, and the first message in this series is Living in Grace. Pastor Todd, what is God's perspective on grace? Well, thank you, Andrew, for uh, introducing me, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, the idea of living in God's grace is literally living in, in God's privilege upon your life, His favor upon your life. That's really what the Greek word means originally. And it's a fascinating concept because we always feel like we have to do something, right, to inherit something from God or to merit something from God. And what we're going to discover in this series, and specifically today, is there is nothing you can do to earn God's favor on your life. He just gives it to us freely because he loves us. That'll be amazing. The the kind of second thing that leads me to ask then is the series is freedom. This is about grace. How do those two work together? How did you pull that together? Yeah, good question. So what we're going to find out is this is a series about uh, Paul's prison letters. There's a series of uh, epistles that Paul wrote in the New Testament, and he wrote these four letters while he was in a Roman jail cell. And the correlation to you or me or someone who may be listening today is you may feel like you're locked up right now, but you don't have to be locked down. You see, the Apostle Paul had to come to that conclusion. Here he was in this old, smelly old jail cell, and you know he thought, hey, it's over. But God spoke to him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. And you and I have these letters in the Bible today that we can learn from. So freedom to live above your circumstance. So, hey, I want to thank you for joining with us today, and I hope that the message is going to be encouraging to you, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side. What does it mean to be saved by grace? You know, when we use the word grace, we often think of things like forgiveness, uh, maybe to be nice to someone, but is that what grace means from a biblical perspective? What we're going to discover in this series is that Paul's four prison letters address this all-important issue numerous times, but he does give special attention to the topic in the first half of this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. But what do we know about this letter to the Ephesians? Well, Paul writes his letter not only to the believers in Ephesus, but also to those in nearby cities of what's called the Lycus Valley, cities such as Laodicea, Colossae, Heropolis. And the overall purpose of Ephesians was to address several challenges facing the church. And Paul takes the letter and breaks it up into two parts. The first three chapters, he deals with the doctrine of the church. And in the last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, he deals with the duty of those who want to follow Christ. So it's doctrine and duty. For today's purposes, though, I want to direct our attention to the middle of the first three chapters because here we discover a famous set of verses that I believe capture the concept of grace and what it means for us today. So let's dive in and take a look here up on the screen. Starting in Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we, meaning all of us as followers of Christ, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in short, what this means is that God reached down through the person of Christ, he walked among us, and he provided a way for us to reconnect with him. 
And so a short definition of what it means to live in grace is to understand the plan, the praise, and the purpose of salvation as Paul explains in this set of verses. Allow me to break it down for you. Let's start first with the plan of salvation. He starts off with, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And what we learn from this simple text is that we are saved by grace. But the question is, what is grace? Simply put, if you're taking notes, you can write down this. God, grace is God's favoritism upon you. It's God's favoritism upon our life. It literally means that God has indeed favored you. In today's language, we may actually use the word God has privileged you. That's a word that's getting a lot of use, privilege, right? Well, if God has given you his grace, indeed, he has privileged you with information to know what it means. So what does it mean to be favored by God? Let's do a quick word study. We're going to look over here first of the angel Gabriel and his discussion with Mary. You might remember this. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, what does that have to do with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8? This word favor is a Greek word, charos. And it's the same exact Greek word that Paul used in Ephesians. And so that's why we know that the word grace means to have favor bestowed upon you. Let's take a look at how Luke described Jesus when he was a little boy in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And the child, referring to Jesus, when he was young, he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor, charis, grace, the favor of God was upon him. So when you put Ephesians together with these three other texts in the Bible, what we see here is a picture that shows that grace is much more than being nice to somebody. Grace is more than just providing a favor to somebody. Sometimes it is that, but in the text today, what it means is having spiritual privilege bestowed upon you. It means God has given you a divine advantage over your entire life. You see, that's what Paul's getting at here with this little three-word phrase, for by grace. Now, you can take this and reverse it if you want to and say, well, what happens if we don't have God's grace in our life? Meaning, without God's favor upon us, what would be the result? Well, we know we would be lost. We would be cut off for all eternity. And this is interesting because it's a tough message in our culture and in our day because we live in a very independent, right, self-starter culture. We live in a culture of choice and personal individual freedom. And yet what Paul is explaining here is our connection to God is not necessarily by our choice. We don't get to just choose God. God must first provide his favor to us, bestow his privilege to us in our decision-making process. You see, without this God-first grace, we couldn't possibly choose him. I like what A.W. Tozer, the great Christian thinker of a generation ago, how he wrote it. He said, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow or give benefits upon the undeserving. Who's the undeserving? That's us, right? We're the undeserving. Its usage, grace, to us sinful men is to save us and to make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages, I love this, the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. His grace or his favor is from him and by him alone. So take this a little bit further, press this question. What would that then mean to me? What would be the significance? If I can't do anything to earn it, then that means I can't mess it up. 
It means I can't lose it. How many of you have ever felt like you've lost God's favor upon your life? Let me see your hand. Yeah, some honest folks today, right? We feel like that. We've done something and we've lost God's favor. I'm trying to tell you, if there's nothing you can do to earn it, then there's nothing you can do to lose it. Give me a head nod if you know what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's trying to teach us here, okay? God's favor is upon our life. We can't misplace it. We can't evade it. We can't elude its pull on my life. When he gives you his grace, you can't elude it. He pulls you back into relationship with him. So again, what does that then mean to me today? It means this. If you're feeling a bit down today, if you feel like you're a million miles away from God, you've done something that you don't think you can be forgiven for, I want to encourage you today that if you're hearing this message today, this means that God's favor is right now upon your life. So whether you're in this facility here today or you're watching in one of our venues or you're watching online, if you're hearing this message, it means God wants you to understand the message of salvation. That's God giving you his divine favor or divine benefit. And that should encourage you. Do you know why? Because it means that God hasn't given up on you. So I wrote in my notes, if God hasn't given up on you, don't give up on yourself. Amen? Don't do it. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took the penalty for all of your sins, your past sins, your current sins, and your future sins. There isn't one sin that you will have committed or will commit that wasn't covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Give me a head nod if you know what I'm talking about. And someone might ask me, well, what if I've done something so wrong, I've gone too far from God's atoning work? Or what if I have questions that are unresolved? I just don't understand all of this, Pastor. How do I begin this? How do I put my faith and trust in Christ if I don't have all the questions answered or I've got a pressing problem. Well, let me say it this way to you. If you have a personal failure in your life or you have a daunting question or you have an unresolved issue, first of all, let me tell you, welcome to the club. How many in here have experienced that yourself? Let me see your hand. Yeah, look around you. You're not alone in this. We all have these things that we have to overcome. But don't let that keep you from putting your full faith and trust in Christ. So the first thing we need to do to live in grace is to understand God's plan of salvation. Now let's take a look at the second thing to understand. Who gets credit for this great salvation? Well, Paul addresses this in the next section of the text. And it's found in what I call the praise for salvation. Let's pick back up here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. So you've been saved by grace through faith. And this salvation, this is not your own doing. That's important. If you have your Bible, underline that. It's the gift of God, this salvation. It's not a result of works. So what? So that no one can boast. What's Paul saying here? I think what he's trying to say is this whole concept of salvation, this whole concept of of redemption, this whole transaction that takes place when you put your faith in Christ, this wasn't created from the mind of of mankind. This is not from the mind of mankind. This isn't your own doing, he says. It's a gift of God. You didn't come up with this idea. Human beings are famous for wanting to be creative, right? We want to be clever. And Paul's saying you may be clever, but you're not that clever. You know, when the Cornerstone Bank in Waco, Nebraska was robbed of some $6,000 in November of 2012, the bank employees were able to give the police a fairly good description of the teenage girl who pulled off the crime and the car in which she escaped. As it turned out, the investigators, well, they didn't really need any of those descriptions because the thief, well, she recorded a YouTube video and she entitled it Chick Bank Robber, mm-hmm. boasting of her criminal know-how. 
fanning out the cash in front of her on the camera, 19-year-old Hannah Sabata, held up a sign that read, I just stole a car and I robbed a bank. Now I'm rich. I'm going for a shopping spree. (laughs) Well, Hannah's brief criminal career ended later that week when the police took her into custody. You see, as clever and as creative as we think we are, we're really no different from Hannah when it comes to trying to figure out a way to escape the consequences of our offenses before a holy God. And see, Peter addresses this in his second letter. Here's how he writes it in 2 Peter 1.16, up on the screen. For we, meaning Peter and Paul and James and John, the early apostles, when they were delivering this message of salvation to the early churches throughout all of the Middle Eastern area, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. In other words, we didn't make this up. You see, this time frame in human history, there was all sorts of religious uh, options to choose from, a potpourri, a buffet of options that you could choose from, especially in cities like Ephesus and Colossae and uh, Rome and Athens. We didn't follow these human-made myths when we made known to you what? The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which that's the gospel message. We didn't create this of our own. This came from God. Without exception, if you study All religions of the world, all man-made religions of the world, it's always what I call a self-centered salvation. And what does that mean? It means it's a salvation or redemption that stems from us to God. And what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it's the exact opposite. It's not from you. It's a gift of God. That's what he's telling us. It's from the mind of God, it's from the heart of God, and it's not from anything that we can come up with our cleverness or creativity. Now, there's a second thing that Paul talks about because it's not from your works, he writes. So the second thing we learn is it's not only from the mind of mankind, it's also not from the works of mankind. He's saying that we can't earn it even if we try. The gift of our salvation is not in our mind and it's not from our hands. Now, it's interesting because some people will say, well, you don't know my life. I live a really good life. And you might, you may be a somewhat of a moral character in the community. You may not have thought you've done something really bad. And you know what? It's true. Some people do better than others in life, right? Uh, But at the end of the day, we all fall short. In fact, when I give you a little illustration and, and come along on this journey with me and I'll explain it this way. Let's say we all got on a boat here in Morro Bay and we decided to sail to Hawaii. Wouldn't that be fun? Some of you are like, yeah, no. But let's say we did, and halfway there, our boat goes down. Now, some of you aren't very good swimmers, so you're not going to make it very far. You're going to go down with the ship instantly. Some of you, you're pretty healthy, and you know how to swim, so you may make it a few miles. But others, you may be even really strong. You may be a really good athlete. You may have done some ocean swimming. You may even make it a day or two. But the reality is we all will fall short, and we all will perish. You see, that's what God's saying to us. You can't earn this. You can't design this because the ocean of sin, the ocean of our, separated, our separation from a holy God is just too vast and you don't know how to handle the coming storms. And why does God want us to put our faith in Jesus Christ? Well, Paul writes about it. It's not of yourself so that no one can boast. That means nobody in this room here today can look at somebody else and say, if you were a bit more like me, then there would be hope for you. Poke your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you. (laughs) Okay, now that we've learned about the plan and the praise of salvation, let's take a look at the purpose of salvation. 
Why does God reach down to our planet? Why does he redeem us? What's the purpose? What's the point? In fact, I had that conversation with somebody this week. He said, why does God even do all of this? What's the whole point to it all? Well, Paul addresses this in verses 9 and 10. Let's take a look at it. The purpose of salvation. Paul says, for we, those of us who have received God's grace, God's privilege on our life, God's favor, we are now his workmanship. That word workmanship is the Greek word poema. So hang on to that. We're going to study that in just a second. So we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work. So there's something for us to do if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, which God has actually prepared beforehand that we should do what? Walk in them. Everybody say, walk in them with me. Walk in them. That's what you're to do. You are God's workmanship. Now, that word workmanship is very interesting. As I said, it's a Greek word. It's pronounced poema. And it's used only two times in the entire Bible. That's it. Two times. And it's used by the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's also used by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 20. Let's take a look. Here's how Paul uses it. He's explaining to the Christians and even non-believers in Rome how God makes himself um, um, available or God makes himself known to all of creation. This is what he's doing here. And he says, for God's invisible attributes. Well, what attributes? Well, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, those attributes, his power and his nature have been clearly perceived or seen ever since the creation of the world. So from the very beginning, God makes his nature and his power available to everybody ever since the creation of the world. How does he do it? In the things that have been made. Now I put that in quotes and made it yellow for you to see that that phrase, things that have been made, is the same Greek word poema. It's the only other time it's used in the Bible. And God does that so they, meaning the people who don't know Christ, so they are without excuse. So God's declaring his glory to his creation, which is us. How is he doing it? Through the things that were made. Now let's put this together. What's Paul saying back in Ephesians? Back in Ephesians, what Paul is saying, as we walk in the good works prepared in advance for us to do, it's just as important to God's creative order as the marvelous creation all around us. Let me say it this way. You might have said this to somebody before. You've been out in the night sky on a camping trip or maybe on the beach and it's beautiful and the stars are out or maybe a sunset. And you say, I want you to look up into the sky, into the huge expanse of the universe. And when you do that, you can see the handiwork of God, right? Have we said that to people before? And the person goes, wow, that is amazing. Where did that waterfall come from? Where does this beautiful sunset? God had to create all of this. That's what he's talking about in Romans. But what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 2, he's saying it's the same thing when non-believers look at our life. You catch me on that? Give me a head nod if you know what I'm talking about. This is what God is doing. So why does God save us? So we become his workmanship, his poema in the things that were made. So as you and I walk in the good works that Christ has prepared for us to accomplish, we become a testimony to his divine nature and his eternal power. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's why God saves us. We become a part of his revelation to his creation. That's what Paul means when he says we should walk in these good works, prepared in advance for us to do by Christ. 
See, when we join together and we break down the barriers and the walls between us as individuals, it's an example to the world of Christ breaking down the wall of sin and separation between us and God. When we offer forgiveness, we are showing that we have been forgiven by God. When we offer favor to somebody, we do so because we have been favored. We offer acceptance because we have been accepted. And what's really fascinating in this word study I did this week on this word, this Greek word poema is where we get the English word poem. Isn't that pretty cool? You could say it this way. We are God's poem as the body of Christ, as we live out his story to those around us. I bet you didn't know your life could be poetic, did you? As you live for Christ, it can't be. And it kind of gives new meaning and a new view on the literary term, poetic justice. We hear a lot of that term today, justice this, justice that, right? How about let's serve up some poetic justice by being the body of Christ and being God's poem to the world. All right, let me wrap this up for you today. Kind of recalling everything that we learned, we started out by learning that the plan of salvation is based upon accepting God's love for us. You see, God's plan of salvation could be summarized as God's favor plus nothing through Christ equals redemption. So have you received God's free gift of salvation yet? If you haven't, I'm going to give you the opportunity at the end of our service in just a few moments to receive God's free gift of salvation. He wants you to receive this gift. It's up to you. Then we came to learn that to appreciate that the praise of salvation is owed to Christ. You see, this plan of redemption is not from the mind of man nor the hand of man, but it rests solely upon the work of Christ upon the cross. And if you're a Christian, have you thanked Jesus for redeeming you lately? I hope you have. You should thank him every day. And lastly, we discovered that the purpose of our salvation is not to be put upon some heavenly shelf in a celestial museum one day, right? But rather, it's to live out the very nature of Christ right now. So have we been designed by God to be the image of Christ? Absolutely. We've been designed by God to be the very image of Christ through our actions that we have with each other each and every day. And so the challenge for those of us who are already followers of Christ here today is are you living out those good works prepared in advance for you to do? You know, on Easter Sunday, 2013, the southbound side of I-77 near the North Carolina and Virginia border was closed for hours following a massive chain of accidents. Police later reported that 17 different collisions involved 95 cars and trucks. The wrecks actually left three people dead and more than two dozen injured, many of them severely injured. The cause of the accidents? It was people driving into a thick fog that descended over the interstate that Sunday afternoon. A police spokesman said visibility at the time the accident occurred was down to about 100 feet or less. As people continued to drive blindly forward, they simply could not see the danger that was just ahead of them until it was too late. Why do I share that story with you this morning? You see, this story might be a metaphor for your life right now. You're here today and you've crashed, you're banged up, you're broken down. Well, in those moments in life, you have a few choices to make, right? You can sit around, you can wonder how it all happened. You can think about all the things you should have done differently. If I just would have done that, I should have done this. You can beat yourself over the head. 
You can blame the fog. You can blame the people in front of you. You can blame the manufacturer of the vehicle or a host of other things. Or what you can do, you can simply bring your life to Jesus Christ. That's what you can do. That's an option for you. And you come just as you are. You come broken. You come battered. You come bruised. And you know what he will do? He will pick you up. He will heal your wounds. He will get you back on the path that he intended you to originally be on. He will put you on a new road. It's called the narrow road, the road of salvation. And I can assure you, friend, if you walk this road, it's a highway that is well paved. It's a highway that doesn't contain any toll booths. And I can assure you there's no fog. For others, maybe this message or this Final illustration is a wake-up call for you to pull your life over. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're driving in a dangerous lane right now. And God is prompting you, and he's saying to you, stop driving in the fog. Danger awaits you. Pull over, turn around before it's too late. Turn around and head back. You see, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, up on the screen. He said, enter through the narrow gate, the narrow gate is the way of salvation, the plan of salvation that we've just been talking about. And wide is the gate, that's the ways of the world, man's wisdom and understanding, trying to figure it out on your own. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to our ultimate destruction, and many enter through it. My encouragement to you today is enter through the narrow gate, the way of salvation provided to us by Christ. But either way, whichever your situation you find yourself in today, for all of us, it's time to live in grace. It's time to open our heart to Christ today. It's time to begin to enjoy all that he's planned for us to do and all he's prepared in advance for us. And he does all of this so that you can be an impact for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen. Well, Pastor Todd, thank you so much for that message. There are people today that are listening that are probably on the wrong road um, would you pray for them? Absolutely, we'll do that. Hey, listen, friend, if you're here today and you're listening to this message and, and God's speaking to you, know that God purposed for you to hear this program today. That's how God works. And that's a sign of his grace and his privilege upon your life. So why don't you just pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we just take this moment in the quietness of this day and we give our lives to you afresh and anew. Take our life, Lord, take our hearts, redeem us, refresh us, renew us, and we are so grateful for your grace. And we give this over to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. And you just finished uh, the new book called Freedom. How does someone get a hold of that? I did, Andrew. It's a great book because it's a, a companion along with the message series. You know, whenever we're doing ministry, whether it's in church or on radio, you only get so many minutes <laughs> with people. Right. And so uh, this message you just heard is actually chapter one of the new book. And uh, I think they have it set up where a gift for any amount um, they can get a copy of the book for free. Right, right. right. So if you go to entrusted.tv, entrusted.tv, and for a gift of any amount, you can receive Pastor Todd's new book, Freedom. And then for a gift of $75 or more, you can receive a DVD set, a scripture card, and then also the new book, Freedom. And what's next week's message? Well, next week's message, we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 4, and it's a message entitled Living in Unity. 
Have you ever been part of a church or a family or relationships where things get a little contentious and people seem to be selfish? Oh, it's the world we live in yeah, right it's, now. It's never me or it's never you. It's always the other person, right? So we're going to find out from God's word how we can live in unity with each other as the body of Christ, become a better husband, become a better wife, become a better brother, a sister, all that type of stuff. So it's going to be great. So I hope you all can join us next week. And you can find more about Entrusted Ministries at entrusted.tv. Entrusted.tv.